if you want to close out this year strong and start next year even stronger, then you may want to check out the Same Side Selling Academy six-week immersion program starting on October 10th. It's going to be limited to a small number of people, and it's hopefully a group that's going to be highly engaged, focused on same-side selling and how to grow your business. Just go to samesidesellingacademy.com to sign up. Hey, it's Ian Altman. My guest today is Allison Stratton. Allison is the co-author of the latest book, Unbranding, 100 Branding Lessons for the Age of Disruption. Now, she and Scott Stratton are the co-authors of four best-selling business books. They co-own a group called Unmarketing, and they host the Unpodcast. Now, they've got five children, two dogs, and two cats. And Allison is just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to branding and loyalty. We're going to talk about the biggest mistakes that organizations make when it comes to branding and loyalty, the specific steps that you should take to know whether or not you should apply different technology in your business, and then the formula for success to build loyalty and keep yourself insulated against disruption. You're going to learn a ton, and it's a great time with Allison Stratton. Allison Stratton, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm glad that you're happy to be here. And this is so unbranding your new book. Yes. Is is which number book now? So this is number five. And uh, and then sometimes we say seven because we've done two revisions. So a, a revision that we did on, on marketing was the first book. And then we did a paperback version of unmarketing, which had some revisions. And we've since done a second edition of unmarketing. So I guess five book titles and we've done seven books uh, my partner Scott Stratton and I together yep. so but this is really baby number five yep and um, and, and I'm excited about it because to, to, to get all of the 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 100 branding lessons for this age of disruption really exciting stuff because it's something that everyone talks about and look there's all this disruption what do I do differently so before we jump into what people should do, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see organizations do when it comes to branding or loyalty that are good lessons for us? Well, I think, first of all, so the, the idea of being in the age of disruption, this idea that we're, we're, we're running our businesses, we're creating our products, and all around us are new technologies and innovations just kind of coming at us left and right. And we see businesses like you know Airbnb and Uber that have just come about, just been born out of innovation and technology that didn't exist even a few years ago. And it can really make our heads spin. I think as business owners and as uh, even as managers, we're just trying to do day-to-day stuff, right? We want to keep organized. We want to create great products. We want to give provide great service. And sometimes so much technology coming at us just makes our head spin. And I think the biggest mistakes that, that we see is when you're so focused on whatever is new, whatever is shiny, whatever somebody else is going to do next, that you're not focusing on your actual business and the things that you should be doing. And so I guess distraction and and what comes about from distraction is one of the biggest um, mistakes we see people make. I would say the second biggest, which I don't think can be ignored, is blaming innovation, blaming new technologies for the failures in your company. I think sometimes we... We blame the tools of technology, such as um, reviews, let's say. So the idea that now if I go to my doctor, I go to my favorite restaurant, all these kinds of things, and that 
a bad review can change a business. We all do. We either were the people who make the reviews or we read the reviews and we see businesses can be born or destroyed because of reviews. And what the restaurant, let's say, or in our case, in the book, lesson number 29 for us is about a doctor's office who was running their running their practice and a Facebook group for moms in the area where their doctor's office was. Uh, someone posted a really bad review of the doctor's office inside what they believed was a private Facebook group. And somebody in the private, I'm making air quotes for yep, audio listeners, right. <laughs> private Facebook group, uh, took this review, co- you know, copied it and sent it to the doctor's office. And so there's a few options for the doctor's office, right? You, you see these negative reviews. There's a few things you can do. You can really look inward and realize maybe these reviews are true and, and think about changing your business and providing better service. Or number two, you can do what this doctor's office did was basically fire these people as patients yeah. <laughs> fire anyone who shared the review, like any of the comments in the Facebook group, fired all those people as, as patients and kept on going being a horrible doctor's office. And so putting the blame on the technology on Facebook, let's sure. say. And, and I'm sure and, that works beautifully for them. Oh, I'm sure they have <laughs> one or two, you know, like well, many, many wonderful things happen um, for them because they did that. But they just they didn't think about it. They didn't really solve the problem, they blame the technology. And I think that combination of us constantly looking at new technologies, constantly running around and blaming the new technologies for any problems in our business are the two biggest things people are doing wrong um, in the age of disruption. Now, now, when you mentioned this, this what I refer to as shiny object syndrome or distraction. So do you have stories or examples in the book of organizations who just like, for example, said, Ooh, everyone's on Instagram. We're going to go on Instagram. And like all of a sudden they thought they were in the Instagram business instead of their core business. Absolutely. I mean, one of the biggest examples which happened this past year was with the Fire Festival, which was that huge music festival, right? They'd, and I mean, I'm not of music festival age, but some of our children are. And, um, you know, so the music festival basically created all this buzz with Instagram. They had famous models who were going to go to the festival, all pictures and, and, and what they were going to do. And they sold millions of dollars of people coming to this festival. They had everything booked and people were coming because of Instagram, because of these images, except that when the festival happened and the story that came out afterwards, what happened was that they had no infrastructure. They just had shiny Instagram pictures. They had no actual planning. Musicians dropped out. I mean, the whole thing. I mean, the fact that it's called the Fire Festival, it actually, you know, it really went up in flames, that festival, (laughs) all because it was all show. It was all Instagram images and there was no substance. There was no planning. And, you know, that's, you're not, a company shouldn't be in the Instagram business. A company, like you said, a company needs to be in in their business. And Instagram is a wonderful tool. All these things are tools, right? The, the, the way we're recording this conversation is a tool. A podcast is a tool. Wonderful tools that technology and innovation have brought us. But the core of your business can't be about those things. It ha- it, they can only be a tool for sharing that with the world and for your customers to share their great stories. Um, and that's another thing that we see is that when we talk about Instagram or we talk about Facebook and, and people sharing their experiences, your job as a business shouldn't be to push out those experiences. Your job as a business is to create great products and great experiences that people want to share themselves, which is an entirely different way of looking at it. And that will really keep you from being in the you know, Instagram business or, 
or um, the Facebook business, let's say. Yeah, yeah, the, the other thing, the other thing that I see a lot, and I'm curious what your what you found in your research also is the organizations who say, for example, well, gee, there's all this customer demand for people to interface on Twitter, so they create a presence on Twitter, but they have no operational plan associated with it. So now you're you're let's say you're a passenger on an airline and you see that oh you know contact us on Twitter for customer service and you tweet something to them and then you promptly get a reply 4 days later and you're like yeah you guys don't really understand how this the expectation is on Twitter that if you're saying you're providing customer service through Twitter 4 days is not an appropriate response time no, and I think that that's all about understanding the tools that you're going to use, which I think will keep you from. So when you find yourself, let's say, as a business owner and you really you're feeling that pressure of the bright, shiny object syndrome, right? All these new things are coming at you. You want to do them. You want to do them. What can keep you from making mistakes is really making sure you ask yourself a few questions. You need to first you need to ask yourself why. And so, like, why are you doing this? And if you're doing it because your customers are there, that's a great reason to do it. But if you're doing it because you want to seem like the cool company, then that's not a good reason to do it. And then at the and then the second question is the how, right? And the how is all about getting to know each tool. What are the expectations, like you said, for Twitter? So what are the expectations of of having a Twitter account? What do people expect when they tweet to you? Do they expect what's the what's the what should be your timeline for how you're going to answer those questions or how you're going to respond? And then you need to set up whatever infrastructure in your company is appropriate for each tool that you're using. I mean, because you wouldn't set up a phone on your desk and then never be around your phone. That would never yeah. happen. The, the expectation is the telephone rings and somebody answers it. And if they don't answer it, you you know that you need to have an answering message or you need to have an assistant who helps you with that. So the same is true for Twitter or for Facebook or for any other thing. You can't have, as Scott says, like you can't, you know, be, you can't have a presence without being present. You can't kind of set up this expectation and then be, just walk away. It's not enough. In fact, it's often worse than it, it, not having the presence at all. It's it's exactly. I mean, it's it, the example I often give is say, look, if you have a pre, if you have a presence on Twitter but you're not present, it's like saying, oh yeah, call our customer service number that we never answer. Now people say, man. So I finally tracked down their customer service number. I called it and no one answered. They're not going to say, oh, good. At least they have a customer service number. Exactly. They're going to be that much more pissed off. And so that's the expectation. And it's funny because I'm still looking for an airline or hotel chain that does it well. I, I do like um, – I forget. I think it's Hilton that has their concierge service where you can basically post any question and they'll respond pretty quickly, which is a great branding message for them. I think it's yeah, WestJet's really great in Canada. WestJet's a great airline with a lot of great stories about, you know, that they're quick and responsive and they answer questions. And I, I just think it's it's that it's a, that's really a symptom, I think. And it makes everything worse. It's a symptom of that bright, shiny object of you. Somebody is telling those businesses they need to have Twitter or yep. they need to have they need to have a Snapchat presence, whatever that means. So they need, you know what I mean? So exactly. it's, and the symptom is because they buy into that without actually asking themselves why and asking themselves how and doing some research, they don't, it's just a, a facade and people see through it very quickly. And not only is it a facade, but it makes people angrier because generally when people reach out to your business, they just want to be heard. You want to be acknowledged and then you want to have your problem solved if you have a problem. And so 
it's like when you call into, let's say your phone company and you call and you're put on hold and then you put sent to the wrong person. And then that person can answer your question. And then they accidentally, you get disconnected and you have to call back with each step you get angrier and angrier and angrier. And then by the time you're talking to a person, you're so frustrated and it didn't need to happen that way. A, a quick response with genuine concern by someone who has answers for you, can make you feel listened to, can go a long way to keeping your customers happy. We don't expect perfection. We just want to be heard. We just want to be, know that you care about our business and you care about our experience. Sure. Now, so I I know in the book, you know, so we, we've we've talked we've talked about here a lot of the mistakes that organizations make. They get caught in that shiny object syndrome with distractions. They blame the innovation for their failure. Like, well, if it wasn't for these darn review sites, my business would be great. Instead of, huh? Now there's a place for people to share their reviews, and people aren't happy. So maybe we're not doing something well. Instead of, well, it's the review site's fault. And then this idea of technology for technology's sake. So those were a lot of the mistakes that people make. What are what's the formula? Because I know you've got some themes on what organizations can do to improve their brand and build loyalty. So what should they be doing? So we kind of looked at um, basically we look at loyalty as kind of the I don't know if it's the antidote or the defense the best defense against disruption. Creating loyalty, creating loyal. Uh, loyal customers and a community around your your product or service is the best way that we've found from studying brands to keep yourself kind of like safe and secure and successful in the age of disruption. And so we, we kind of broke loyalty down into four different factors. And the way we looked at it is that the, the brands that we found that had done the best, and some of them were brands that had been around for, you know, 100, 150 years the brands that had done the best through all changes in technology and new developments were brands that created four things for their customers. They created comfort, they, uh, which is basically the idea of that they took people from you know that experience of a want into comfort. So they solve problems for them, and they and by solving problems for their customers time after time, they created trust. The second one was cost. And so cost could be both ways. Like we looked at, it doesn't really mean cost in that whether you're the most expensive or you're the cheapest product. It was more about value. So creating, but I wanted it to start with a C. So instead of value, I called it cost. Because you'll see, these are four Cs. Um, so the they created value. For their, <laughs> they created value for their customers. And then the third was uh was convenience. So obviously, you know, I think sometimes as businesses, we think, you know, these, all of these new technologies, all these distractions are only happening to us, but every single one of our customers is experiencing the same thing. We're all running around trying to keep up with what is new and, and keep up with technology. We have computers and phones and everything. So creating convenience is a huge factor to building loyalty as well. And then the last one, which is something that, um, Scott and I are particularly interested in, we talk about a lot is convergence. So this idea of like your values. And I think that this is something new, I, in some ways new, I think with social media and how we know so much about companies is that people like to do business with companies that they feel like their values, there's convergence between themselves and the brand. Either, either they like the way the brand makes them feel about themselves, some kind of like identity or culture the brand has created that they want to be associated with. Or sometimes it has nothing to do with their company. It has to do with the CEO saying something racist on Twitter, let's say. So that that would break the convergence. And we looked at the four factors and obviously nothing is is 
a static. Nothing ever stays the same. So it's all dynamic and, and moving all the time. And this is something kind of that we followed up from, from Unselling, which was our last book, which was this idea that there's never a neutral brand experience. You're always kind of moving the needle up and down with brands. And that if, if a company could create these four things for their customers, the, the comfort and the cost and the convenience and the convergence, that they would build loyalty. And that no matter what technologies were coming out, no matter what new things were happening, if they focused on those four things, they would be able to kind of to create this, you know, solid, comfortable experience, which would lead to success. And, and my guess is that these same four C's apply to employee loyalty as well. So the employee feels like I'm in a place of comfort if I have good value, meaning I'm fairly compensated when I factor in everything about the work environment I'm in, when it's an easy place to work because of that convenience, when I have – when I'm working in a place that has the same values that I share, that's a place I'm probably going to be loyal to and work at for a long time. And if one of those things goes out of whack, I might start looking. And if two of them are out of whack, I'm probably already looking. And by the third one, I better be somewhere else. Absolutely. And there is no denying that companies who take care of their employees, who hire well, who value their employees work, who create, you know, that value, especially like employees who feel that their work is valued, both because it's compensated in a certain way or and also because it's valued in that they're listened to and that they feel a part of the the company. Those companies are almost I mean, it's it's a huge congruence between that and companies that also serve their customers well. And I, I don't think that that's surprising. And it's definitely not new. I mean, it, it is. And, and I think that's interesting because what is new is that we have these megaphones of social media, which we hear about how employees are treated and we hear. So we, it's kind of amplified, but it's an old story. I mean, treat people well, be build trust with your customers, have employees that you value, that you trust, that then can go out and represent your brand to your customers in that way. I mean, it's it's such an old common sense business kind of value, but it's just amplified today. It, so it we always, have, we it know always, so much. It always frightens me when, when I'm speaking at an event and someone will ask a question about their employees and I'll say, look, it's a real simple thing. You want to make sure your employees feel a mutual sense of trust, respect, and appreciation, and then they will share that with their clients. And what frightens me about when I say that is how many people are writing it down like, oh, that's a good one. I got to write that down. I'm thinking, I know, oh, dear right? God, this is not like just the standard. I mean, we we have at – at the time we're recording this, we have these hurricanes hitting the U.S., and I have members of my team who are based in Florida. And it's so funny because um, one of the members of my team said – Oh, you know, gee, we're 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 preparing the house for the hurricane, so I don't know that I'm going to be able to get to this one task. And I said, "Are you out of your mind? Like the <laughs> last thing on your mind? Take care of yourself first. The last thing on your mind should be that." So I, I said, "Look, there are three priorities that you need to have." I said, "Number one, you need to make sure that you and your family are safe. Number two, see number one. Number <laughs> three." Make sure that one and two are taken care of. And somewhere way down on the list is anything related to what we need as a business. So take care of all that stuff first, and then we can worry about anything else. So right now, you're facing a natural disaster. I don't really care if we get somebody an agreement for a speaking engagement two days late. Where we And the fact that you're telling me in advance, we can say to the client, hey, by the way, the person drafting this is in the eye of the hurricane. So 
it might be a couple of days. If that client doesn't get it, then they're not our client. I just think, I think the problem is that we want, we want simple answers. I want to know the secret of your success, right? And it's so much easier to say the secret of my success is I, I use Twitter as opposed yeah. to saying, no, the secret of my success is I work hard. I hire good people. I create value for my customers and I care about my employees. And therefore they take that and they transfer that on to our market because that is a hard answer. It takes time and it takes care. And it, and to say, it's a Yelp problem and point your finger is a very quick, short answer. And to say you need to work better to be a better company is a long, hard answer. And so it, I just think that that's why people are writing it down because the key to having this great social media presence is hiring great people. Nobody, that's a hard answer, but it's true. And it, and it's what creates value over time. Sure. So, on these four C's, because yes. the second one is not value, it's cost. <laughs> um, on, the, on those four C's. Cups are very important. I don't need to tell you that. What, 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 are, <laughs> what, are, what, are, what are some shining examples of businesses that are doing this and doing it well? So it was funny. So we have, I mean, obviously there's a hundred brands in the book and, you know, to get to a hundred brands, there were, you know, 652 brands or whatever it was started with. Um, but one of the brands I really enjoyed talking about was Chuck E. Cheese. Do you guys have Chuck E. Cheese? Yep. Okay. So it's funny because Chuck E. Cheese is like, I, when my kids were younger, it was like a bit of a nightmare. It's very loud and all this sure. kind of stuff. So, you know, and it's a, a great case study to look at, but we studied some of the stuff of Chuck E. Cheese. And one of the, one of the keys to Chuck E. Cheese success back in the day was that, you know, was parents, right? Like you're really selling to parents. You're creating this fun environment for kids, but you're really selling to parents. And so what do parents want? And one of the reasons when we were doing the reading about um, Chuck E. Cheese was that they'd really focused on what the parents wanted. So, you know, they, they wanted to be able to go in and have something fun for their kids. They wanted it to be safe they, and all these things. And, and they really focused on those. And so we were reading this story about um, Chuck E. Cheese had started to do um, once, I think it was once a week. I don't have it in front of me, so forgive me, but it was about once a week um, mornings on a Saturday, let's say, where they turned everything down and they kind of made everything more quiet um, so that children who, let's say, were on the autism spectrum were able to to come in and it would be less stimulating for them. Sure. And so, and I, I read about the story. I thought it was really great and I hadn't paid attention to Chuck E. Cheese in years. And so I was reading about this and it was very cool to hear how it had come about. It had started in like one local spot. A, a mom had come in and wanted to have a birthday party for her, her son or daughter at the Chuck E. Cheese, but they really were concerned about it was going to be too overwhelming for, for the children. And so this one location, this one employee, you know, took a chance and they did the birthday party and they just opened the place a little bit early, basically turned everything down and it was a huge success. And so, you know, this one little idea took off and they started doing it at that location fairly regularly and it was getting booked up and they were getting great press for it. And the, you know, different associations that worked with families, um, who have children on the spectrum started sharing the story. And then that story was taken to the head office of Chuck E. Cheese and it just caught on. And the reason I love the story is because the core value of caring about what parents want is the same. Like it stayed throughout the history. It adapted, it changed to what different parents wanted, but it was still focusing on this one need of one parent in one town. And that, when they tested it, it turned out that more parents wanted it. And so I yep. love that. 
And I also love that as a big organization, they listened to one location that was having success with one little idea and they took it across all of their organization, which I think is wonderful demonstration of valuing your employees and valuing their feedback and what they want. And so, yeah, I just, I thought, what a great idea. What a great um, respect for your employees. Like, I think a lot of people don't listen to their employees' ideas. They don't want to do something different. And so I love the example of, you know, this huge company listening to one employee, one parent's experience in a town. And now it's been a huge success across all their locations. A lot of parents were looking for it apparently, but didn't know how to get it started. And now it's a big thing for the brand. And, and it also goes along with the, you know, so you have the, um, the convergence there. So if as a parent who doesn't have a child on the spectrum, I still want to spend more money with Chuck E. Cheese because they're doing something good for other families. And I heard about that story through social, but even though something hasn't affected me personally, I can still feel like I want, I feel good about giving my money to a company that helps families that have certain specific needs. And so that's the convergence piece that's really important. Yeah, it, and and it's funny. It makes me think of our friend Joey Coleman who talks about the Chuck E. Cheese example and says, look, you must be doing something right if you're a restaurant group that's been successful and as part of your restaurant group, your brand is a picture of a rat. So, yeah, which is a funny story, a funny story that he didn't know it was a rat. I don't know if you've read the story, but the founder picked the um, mascot at a, like a mascot trade show. He just liked it and he didn't realize it was a rat, That's which funny. I think, which is one of my favorite stories. But so those are the kinds of things we have in the book, you know, talking about uh, there's another story it was pretty widely shared actually in my circles. I don't know if it came across you, but it was a, a we we. Um, shared somebody else's story, which was uh, a story about a dad who woke up in the morning and found that his Roomba had gotten into uh, poop and oh. it had spread it all over his house. <laughs> and it, it was hysterical. I mean, we were crying. We read it on the on podcast and we were, I mean, just tears in our eyes as parents and as pet owners. Uh, you could just picture the pain. It was really well written. And so we shared the story inside the book from the original author. But what was interesting about that story was that, first of all, so I see this on um, Facebook and I read it. It's a hilarious, really well-written, funny story, poop all over the apartment. And I couldn't, I couldn't possibly describe it as well as he could. So you'll have to read it to hear it. Um, but what was interesting was at the end, very end of the story, he says that he had gotten the Roomba um, from a certain store and that after he had let them know that the Roomba was obviously broken, they sent him a new one. And so I was, I was blown away by this. Like I'm reading the story and it's hilarious, but then you hear that, okay, so the company behind this product, not Roomba, but the, the website where he bought the Roomba refunded him his money for this Roomba that had run through poop. Yeah. Right. So I looked into this business and they've been, and it's, I, I don't know if I could pronounce it correctly, but it's Hamisher Schlemmer yeah. and they've been in business for 169 years. And they're kind of this fantastic catalog company. They've been around forever. Um, but I love that. Like, I love this idea that if you sell something to somebody that you're responsible for the product, yep. you're responsible for the experience. And that's how you stay in business for 169 years. Yeah, you stay in, because the trust is incredible. And I've bought two other items from them since, because I read this story about a poop Roomba on Facebook. Exactly. Um, did, did you order the poop model of Roomba? <laughs> no, I didn't get a Roomba. Okay. 
just making sure because <laughs> I'm sure. By the way, the the great thing would be if Roomba now now said, "Oh, now we have an extra sensor where there's a there's an olfactory sense. So if it smells really something that's not right, it doesn't go there." <laughs> they really need that sensor. That's why I wouldn't buy a Roomba because I read this story. Exactly. But I just, I mean, I just, I love, I, I love the way social media works, right? I love that you can hear about a company, which I, I probably saw the story because of all my parenting connections on Facebook. And then to read the story and then lead it down a chain where now not only did we include the story in the book, but that I became a customer of this brand who sold it to them because they, they said like, we sold it to you. Obviously, it didn't work out the way you hoped. And so we're going to be responsible for it. And and I think that it's not like the brand went out and pushed out a story on social media about how great they were. Yeah, they somebody just did the right a- thing. And, and it became remarkable and became worth somebody remarking about. I remember when I had Seth Godin on the, uh, on the podcast, Seth's comment was, look, the thing that people forget about remarkable is it just means it was worth remarking about. So – if exactly. you say it as the brand, that isn't what's remarkable. It's remarkable is when you do something as a brand and people want to remark about it. That's exactly. the definition of remarkable. And we spend so much time as brands trying to chase after the technology to push things out or to find the short answers or the tricks. And and really the trick is just to focus on your business and do good work. I know it's not quite as, you know, steps one, two, and three, but it's what works, and it's how you build a company that lasts, which should be the most important thing. And, and, rest, and rest assured, there's an accountant somewhere who says, oh, but what did it cost him to send out the Roomba? And, of course, now you look at it and say, wow, whatever it cost them, it was a bargain because look at how much positive press they got. But guess what? The person who did it wasn't seeking positive press. They were just saying, how do we take care of our customer? Yeah, you, just, you have to give people things worth talking about. That's what you have to focus on. And that's and the, the, the brands that do that are the brands that can survive no matter what the new technologies are that are flying at us. You can survive that because your customers are happy and they're loyal and they trust you and they know that you're going to be able to solve their problems. And that's invaluable. That's awesome. Well, I encourage people to go out and get unbranding. Um, I also encourage people to tune into your unpodcast because it's – there, there aren't many podcasts that I listen to, and that's one of them because it's just, it's just fun. And, we do have a lot of fun. And you get a lot of we great do. information. So, Allison, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you and learn more? Um, you can – well, you can reach me on Twitter, and I do answer my <laughs> tweets. I am actually there. It's not fake. At, um, I'm Allison. And uh, you can check out on marketing.com. We always have stuff there. We have on a marketing Facebook page and come and say hi. And the on podcast, we um, every single week we do a show. We talk about things like this, brand stories and things that we've experienced with different companies and talk about a lot of what they're doing wrong, but also what they're doing right. And we have a lot of fun doing it. So, yeah, and, and branding's out the beginning of October. It's it's always it's always good for a laugh. And. Um, and people can run out and get unbranding right now on Amazon and elsewhere. And with a hundred lessons, if there's not one for you, then you need to read it again. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> All right, Allison. Well, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Allison is just a wealth of knowledge. Let me give you a quick 30 second recap of the key information I think you can use and apply to your business right away. 
So first, make sure that you're avoiding that shiny object syndrome, that you're not just looking at technology for the sake of technology, but instead asking why are you using this technology and how do you intend to use it so you're managing expectations. Second, don't blame innovation for your failures. So it's not that there's a review site, it's that you're creating experiences that are leading to bad reviews that's the issue. And then remember, in order to achieve that level of loyalty, we want to focus on the four C's, I'm going to call the second one a V, um, of comfort, making sure that you're taking people from what they want to a comfort zone, the cost or value that you're delivering to the client, the convenience, are you making it easy for your client to interact, and the convergence, are your values aligned with the customer's. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a guest you think I should have on, if there's a topic you want me to cover, just let me know. Fire me a note at ian at ianaltman.com. Thanks again for posting your reviews on iTunes. It really makes a big difference. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everyone can embrace, even your customer. <laughs>